This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Do you like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books? Then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Welcome back, sci-fi and fantasy fans, to the Science Fictionary Podcast. I'm Andrew. I'm here tonight with Marisha. How's it going? And our very special guest, Carla, from WSTR. Hello, hello, everybody. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing great. It's really great to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, as soon as I mentioned Tolkien in the chat, I guess it was Todd that was like, oh, I know who you've got to have on. And I was like... (laughs) I was like, all right, we'll do it. Yes. And uh, so we're really glad to have you here and we're having a we're having a really good time. It's one of those things we had never really taken time to sit down and just talk about Tolkien, which is odd because outside of Star Wars, it's by far my biggest thing. And and sometimes I think that it's actually something that overall I enjoy more than Star Wars. And and I was kind of like, you know, we, we've done all of this, and we've just never stopped and just talked about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've It's come up. It comes up all the time. And it has kind of hijacked a couple of our shows. Right. Like and There have been a few shows that have kind of got, like, we're supposed to be, like, talking about, like, general, like, all the most important, you know, sci-fi, and it's like, or, or, or fantasy, and it's like, and we spent 45 minutes talking about. <laughs> because if you're going to talk about all the most yeah. important right. fantasy, it, it's... It's kind of the one you have to talk about. Yep. 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 It's always it's, it's always the one. Right. Well, it's it's you know, and we yeah. say this all the time, but it's the one that it's like the culmination and uh, perfection of everything that came before it, fantasy, and it's the thing that everything since gets compared to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's Tolkien's work is definitely the foundation for a lot of the modern fantasy that we see Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Um. Yeah, he's 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 the father of fantasy. I like to call him that. So. <laughs> he is, yes. Yep. So uh, I guess we just wanted to start off by you know asking how you got into Tolkien as a at, you know did you get into the books initially or did you start off with the movies or? Uh, so I actually started off with the movies, and okay. I always remember this because Fellowship came out. 2001, because this mm-hmm. is this year's the 20 year anniversary. Anniversary, holy smokes! Right, <laughs> that makes me feel so old. Um, but I just remember because that's also when the first Harry Potter movie came out, and I remember being in middle school, and everybody was like, "Oh, Harry Potter!" J- you know, J.K. Rowling, blah, blah, and I'm over here like, "Hey, the Lord <laughs> of the Rings is pretty cool," like you know. Um, right. not that I don't like Harry Potter, but I don't know, there's just something about those films that just spoke to me a little bit more, definitely. I guess. Um, they're definitely a lot deeper. Um, you know, there's a lot more going on with, with Tolkien's work. And, um, yeah, so I was a big, big fan of the movies and, um, my aunt is a big fan and she's the one who, who took me to the theater. We would go all the time. I think Return of the King I must have seen at least 10 times. Like wow. we went to the, 
like the very last showings, you know, when there's mm-hmm. maybe like one or two. And right. we went to this like dingy like theater and it was in the basement. <laughs> I remember mm-hmm. it's, it was like smelly. And I was like, it's fine. We got to see it one more time. One right. more time. Yeah, we kind of did that number but, um, at our little theater here. Saw it several times, you know. Um, all the little theaters around Mississippi, you know, when we go visit, people were like, hey, let's go see. <laughs> let's go see Lord of the Rings. It's in yeah. theaters still. Absolutely. Yeah. Good times. But so, so she so she was like my my partner in crime when it came to uh, seeing the movies. And she's like, oh, like, you know, there's books. I'm like, huh? What? Mm. You know? Mm. Um, and then I got into the books, which were uh, they were tough. Um, a tough read at first, mm-hmm. um, but I, it just you know it opens up the entire world, right. and I'm sure you know we'll talk more about it as we we yes. go through. But right. yeah, I was just blown away and fell in love. And like you said, you know if it's for me, if it's not Star Wars, it's Tolkien and Middle Earth and Lord of the Rings. I just I love everything about it. Right. So, and you're right, they are a hard read, and a lot of people find that intimidating and. So kind of one of the things, and, and we'll kind of get to it in a little bit, so, so think on it is kind of, especially because some of the people we've had on haven't even read the books. And, and some of our own, you know, David, who's on our show regularly, hasn't read the books. And he's not here tonight because he had wisdom teeth pulled out today. Ooh. <laughs> but We're having more fun than him. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, you know, I guess trying to say to people like how do you encourage people to read the books because a lot of people look at it and, and immediately go no I'm not gonna not gonna read that I saw the movies don't re- need to right or they start reading it and then they kind of go it's hard I, I really don't want to do it and it, yeah. and it is because it's different and it's kind of like deciding you know what I've never read Shakespeare before but I'm gonna read Shakespeare and you start reading it and you go this is kind of kind of hard to read yeah and yeah it's there's a lot to follow and there's just so much detail. And right. um, I mean, like I'm, I'm working on the, the Cimmerillion still. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like it's, and I guess for, for someone who hasn't read or has tried to read, what I like to do is like chunk it because yeah. if you just like go in, you're like, I'm just going to read as much as I can, you know, whenever I can, it, it gets, you know, you're like, whoa, wait a minute, hold on, what is going on here? So if you, like, chunk it into, you know, section by section and kind of digest it right. and make sense of it, then move forward, It's it makes it a little bit easier yeah. to kind of get the whole picture of the story. Well, that's especially what I tell people regarding the Silmarillion is read a chapter. Like, just read a chapter yep. and then walk away from it. That's because exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because it's, you know, they don't, the next chapter's not going to have anything to do directly with what you just read anyway. It's all, every chapter's kind of its own little thing. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I just read the creation story in the, that first chapter over and over again. Um, I think that as far as fictional creation stories, that the creation story is, is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing like what came from his imagination and um, just to see like how his life and his experiences have been poured into mm-hmm. this whole world and, you know, its own creation. Like 
I'm fr- I'm probably not going to say this correctly, but Aea Ea is like the name of mm-hmm. the world. The world, right? Yes. And then um, you have well, you have Middle Earth, and then there's Berellian. I again, like all of the names. Right. Like every time I open the book and I start reading, I'm like, wait, I have to go check the index now, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I go back like four or five times because. That some of the names are so similar, and you're like, wait, mm-hmm. is this a person, place, or thing? Like, what is going on? Right. Which Finn is this? Is this Finn Golfin, or is this Finn Rod, or is this yeah, Finn? Right. Or is, which one is this? Yeah. Is that is that a brother, or a son? Right. Like, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. It really is. And I can see why it intimidates people, but I do... It's one of those things I, I wish more people would read read the book. It's like, you know, and even things like Dune. There's a Dune movie coming out this year, and I'm like, and I, I think I finally told David, I said, don't don't read the book until after the movie comes out at mm-hmm. this point, because then you're going to go in with expectations. But at some point, read the book. It's so important yep. to sci-fi literature, and, and this is, I, I still think that Lord of the Rings by itself, just those three story three three books is probably the most important piece of fantasy literature out there mm-hmm. um, yeah for sure so have you have you made it all the way through the silmarillion or are you still work are you still kind of working through oh it oh my gosh i'm still working i actually i have it right here let me say <laughs> my chapter i am on chapter 14 14 okay yes um and the thing is, is like, it's not long. Right. It's only about three, like the actual like story itself is about 300 pages. And then right. the rest of it is all like the, in- index. the index and the maps <laughs> and the, the family trees. Um, it's not long, but there's just so much packed into it. Absolutely. Yeah. Whereas like, I mean, with the Lord of the Rings trilogy, yes, they're longer, but I feel like it's just not, it's not written the same way. Mm-hmm. This is more of, again, this is more of his mythology. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Lord of the Rings, you know, you're taking a very specific part of that time and mm-hmm. you're, he's stretching right. it out. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, the Silmarillion was really uh, Christopher Tolkien's first attempt at compiling the most important pieces of the histories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of the all the things, you know, and it's kind of interesting because I read the Silmarillion, I guess. So I saw the first, I saw the Fellowship, and then I read all the books, and then I was like, oh, must read the Silmarillion. It didn't phase me when I read it, but I think that that's because I was not only a nerd, I was a theology nerd in high school. <laughs> like, that's what I did. I sat around with my friends, and I debated theology. So I was very used to okay, here's a concept. Let's read all the things about it. Let's go and let's find it in the index and let's go find all the other places that talk about it. And so I was kind of comfortable with that kind of diagramming the way that it, it worked out. So I think that maybe if you kind of look at it as more of an intellectual exercise instead mm-hmm. of leisure reading. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's the same yeah. reason that history professors love to read the Silmarillion. Right. Because it's, in keeping with what they read anyway. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, like I said, I think that, that if you consider it like a textbook as opposed to a novel, yeah, it's a little more 
it's a riveting textbook. Of course, I also read textbooks, like history textbooks, <laughs> for, for fun as a teenager. Like I said, I was a really special kind of nerd. But um, it's it's always interesting how if you kind of change your perspective a little bit, you can really, you know, so many people I think are like, oh, it's it's another Lord of the Rings. And it's, it's definitely not. My favorite yeah. analogy, I think, is it's the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's like reading through Deuteronomy. It's like, Absolutely, and yeah. so-and-so begot so-and-so. And it's like, wait a minute. Didn't we just read this story? Like in the last, you know, so then you're like trying to figure out, wait a second. So why are we getting <laughs> a different version of the same story that we just got? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's an adventure for sure. But I've really been enjoying, I've been listening to the audiobook. I've read it a couple of times, like when I was younger, uh, but I'm listening because I have three kids now, so I don't have time to uh, prod through that dense of a book. So, But it's actually really kind of fun to listen to um, because then I don't have to figure out how to pronounce all the things in my head. Someone else does that right. work for me. I have to say that's been kind of great. <laughs> how, is, how is the narration with the audiobook? Because sometimes I feel like something like that, if you've got somebody who's kind of monotone and you're just going to... You're going to tune out. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the narrator. I think he may have actually narrated the Lord of the Rings books too. Okay. Um, so I've, I've been enjoying it. Although um, I was listening into, to it in the car. I was driving my sister's kids back home and my kids were like, can we please turn on a Star Wars book? <laughs> <laughs> can we listen to Kenobi or something? <laughs> they were not riveted by... Um, the tales of the Noldor in Middle Earth and <laughs> <laughs> all the machinations going on there, trying to track down the Silmarils. They couldn't have cared less. Right. Like sometimes I'm listening to a book, they'll be like, ooh, what is this? That's They wound up listening to Narnia and Harry Potter because I was listening to them. And then they were like, ooh, must hear this. They haven't been begging to uh, start this one <laughs> from the beginning. <laughs> and that's And it's so interesting too because I've noticed that Tolkien's work like you don't see a lot of kids or like uh, adolescents really getting into it until Mm -hmm. maybe they're you know young adults um Mm -hmm. you know into adulthood it's just so again it's so complex and there's just so much to digest with it absolutely yeah and even the movies are a lot I mean yeah, I know people <laughs> that are, they're like, how how do you sit through a four hour movie? And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know, because it's amazing. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. It's you know? phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, it doesn't feel like four hours when you watch those extended editions. No. I mean, they're they're so, so good. And, you know, 20 years later, they still hold up mm-hmm. incredibly well. Yep. More than most yeah. things that were made during that stretch of time. And they just... Uh, released the 4K version. Oh, did they? So it looks even, like, crisper now. Like, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And I don't have a 4K TV, but I was tempted to be like, hmm, should I buy a 4K TV just to watch this? Right. <laughs> worth it. <laughs> worth absolutely, 100% worth it. Yeah, those... Um, so, you know, we've we've kind of gone on at some length since we started this series, but it is really amazing how well those movies have held up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like even just like sitting down, my, you know, kids are always going to be critical of things in a different way than adults are. Um, 
And so sometimes we'll sit down and we'll watch something with them and they're like, this is an old movie, isn't it? You know, they kind of get that like, ugh. This is an old thing, you know, like it's kind of, you can tell because it's notably less because they're so used to, you know, Marvel movies and all of this stuff with just, it's just so visually perfect. People are like, oh, it's another CGI fight scene. We're so bored of it. You know, this is the world that my children have always lived in. Right. Um, And so it was telling that whenever we watched Lord of the Rings with them, they were, they just assumed it was kind of new. You know, they didn't assume that it was like this old thing, which, I mean, compared to them, it is. Um, so that that's impressive that you yeah. can actually get fans, you know, young fa- young people who are accustomed to just such a high bar in in visual effects and all of these things that can watch it and buy it. Right. Um, yeah. Well, that was really like the turning point with a lot of, the visual effects and CGI. Mm-hmm. I mean, the mocap. Um, yeah. You know, Andy Circus's work with Gollum <sighs> is just—it's amazing. It is absolutely. You, you, know, you look at it and you're like, "Whoa, that still is like pretty good, considering yeah. it's now 20 years old." Yeah, you know? right. Well, it's still kind of the benchmark. It's the one everybody goes back to. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Is you know we we kind of talk about how all the the new kind of things that they did in Phantom Menace in 99, you know, it's like, and some of it, like you watch now and you're like, ugh, like that, you know, so, some of it, so especially some of the visual effects, you know, they were so innovative and so new. It's like, okay, like I can tell this was made 20 years ago, but mm-hmm. within two short years, they had managed to get such a good hold on all of those things. Um, for Lord of the Rings, I feel like Lord of the Rings, the movies really reaped the benefits of a lot of the kind of innovative things that were happening just right before them. And um, yeah. they definitely, definitely managed to own it. And of course, the other the other thing, uh, I'm very musical. So, you know, I'm always, you know, the, oh, the light motifs and the this and the, you know, all of these things are things that, of course, I kind of obsess about. And I know that you said that um, the soundtrack is one of your big, big things with Lord of the Rings. So, like, kind of tell us, like, some of the things about your uh, your experiences with that, thoughts on that, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. the I mean, the score to those films are just... They're just perfect. I mean, Howard Shore is, he's a genius. I mean, John Williams, you know, he is like, he's the goat. Everybody Mm -hmm. loves John Williams. Mm -hmm. But like, if I had to put like a solid second, it would Mm -hmm. be Howard Shore. And like, I'll even go to say that sometimes I think the Lord of the Rings score might be a little bit more of my favorite than Star Wars. (laughs) And people are like, what? What do you mean? Yeah. But not that Star Wars is not... Not that the music is not emotional, but again, there's just something about those films, mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings films, that they just hit these these deeper nerves, Absolutely. you know, as um, as we think about humans and psychology and things like that to me. And it just strikes more emotion. I mean, that's at least when I listen to it. Um mm-hmm. I could like throw, I remember one time I was in my car and it was just a random like playlist of all my music. And I think it was the fourth Aerolingus when Gandalf comes over the hill and, you know, AO mirrors. And I started crying in my car. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, you're not even watching. 
watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the highway. I'm like, oh my god. But um, yeah, it's just for me. It just it's so emotional, and it it just strikes something really deep. And um, I got to, I also got to see they did this was like oh my gosh six or seven years ago now they did a tour of the lord of the rings concert oh wow where they played the films and then the orchestra performed live to the film yeah that's Um, awesome i really wanted to see return of the king but it sold out like immediately yeah and then fellowship sold out so two towers was the only one left but i was like okay let's do this we'll do it (laughs) absolutely i mean it just took it to this whole other level. And that again, awesome. like, I remember sitting there and I'm sobbing and the woman next to me was probably like, what's wrong with you? That's too but funny. It's just beautiful. It's so beautiful. And he just, ca- I think, I feel like he captures exactly what Tolkien would have wanted mm-hmm. if he could have put sound to his books. Yes. Yeah. You know? And it, and it's really awesome when, when a composer captures that, that feeling that you don't have to be watching the movie. You just hear mm-hmm. the music and it evokes that emotion. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, and there's not just, I mean, there are, there are others out there, you know, John Williams has pulled that off a number of times with, with things that like they just, they're captivating. And they, they evoke all of the emotion, whether you're watching the scene or you're just listening to it driving down the road. Um, and it, it's really, really cool when a composer finds that magic mm-hmm. that, that matches up so well with the movie that you remember what mm-hmm. you remember all those moments mm-hmm. of what's happening when that music's playing. Especially yeah. for a book that, that had been out for so long. You know, uh, it's it's always if the, the composer can work with the the writer and that, you know, like they're, they're kind of creating this thing together, you know, again, you know, kind of your Star Wars analogy, you know, you have, it's sort of this, um, I can't think of the word, um, you know, it's, it's something that, that he and Lucas kind of created together, like, oh, well, what do you right. think about this sound? What do you know? Um, but for somebody to be able to capture that for a story that had been out, you know, for 60 years at that point um you know and he couldn't go hit up the the original author of this work and be like hey what kind of feeling do you think you know right how do you think elvish music should, should sound you know um it is very wagnerian you know it's you know yeah the, the feeling is definitely very reminiscent that's that's exactly what it is yeah um, and because i mean lord of the ring is lord of the rings is so it's so wagner mm-hmm. um you know, and so of course, there there's always the, you know, the great composers. Again, that's the one they always the kind of the classic composer they always get sort of compared to is. Yeah. Um, but in this instance, it's particularly apt with all the, especially the the light motifs usage. You know the, you know you know that ring, and you have the that that theme that kind of goes you know mm-hmm. goes with it, and it just kind of that thread that goes all the way through the story. Um. You know, and as you were kind of sitting talking about kind of comparing um, the, you know, Howard Shore and John Williams. And I was kind of thinking um, when I was younger, I remember saying 
Lord bless my ignorant little heart. All John Williams music sounds the same because I had seen Star Wars, I had seen Indiana Jones, and I had heard Superman. And so I was like, well, clearly this is it. Like, this is, of course, you know, once I became more well-versed, uh, there's so much nuance and variety in John Williams' compositions. Mm -hmm. But Lord of the Rings manages, he manages to integrate this bombastic feel and the kind of in ethereal, all of the kind of range that John Williams exhibits in a lot of his works over the years. A very similar range is explored just in the Lord of the Rings movies. Right. You know, you right. have these large, beautiful, sweeping uh, scenes and you have the, you know, the happy, you know, go lucky kind of Shire music. You even have the, the songs of the elves and the, you know, all of this, so much, so many different styles. Um, and it's really a testament, I think, to his, his skill to be able to effectively use uh, so many different styles of music to portray a, a huge world, not just this one thing, but so many different facets of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, all, you know, again, I always had you know, soundtracks in my car. My favorite, um, my one that I would always get me would, would be um, Billy Boyd singing. Um, oh, yes. You know, <laughs> Home is Behind so and the good. World Ahead. Yeah. Oh, it's like every time we come, my kids are like, Mom, what's like, <laughs> like come on, get over it. And I'm just like, but it's yeah. so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I, have you guys ever listened to the soundtrack show? It's you know, I have podcast. not. I have heard of it, but it's, I don't listen a whole lot to, to podcasts as much as I should, but um, I haven't. But I, that's when I keep thinking, oh, this is what I need to do. So it's, so it's David W. Collins, who has done a lot of work with Star Wars right. and all that. But he, I mean, I am not, a, I'm not a music brain I appreciate music so much, but like I could never break it down, you know, the way mm -hmm. that music brains do. But the it's so basically the show. I mean, he goes through John Williams, um, just all these different movies, TV shows. I think one he does like Super Mario, like the soundtrack of Super Mario. Like, yeah, it's just it's so cool. But he did a three part episode on Fellowship of the Ring, and oh, wow. I, I didn't think I could love the score like any more than I already <laughs> did. And just listening to that, it made me appreciate even more like all of the work that Howard Shore put it. Like, I think I remember the, the one little like tidbit that stood out to me was that in the fellowship theme, there's nine notes for nine members of the fellowship. Wow. And my brain just went, <laughs> what <laughs> it's genius yeah it's genius that's um, awesome but yeah i would definitely definitely recommend listening to that if if you want to start definitely just skip to right to those three it's amazing <laughs> yeah i'll definitely have to check those out i saw that he had started that podcast but i haven't had an opportunity to check it out yeah definitely definitely a good i mean i'm such a music such a music nerd so is definitely right up my alley. You'll love it. Yes. You will love it. Absolutely. Great. Well, we'll definitely have to do that. 
Um, so, of course, Instagram, you know, we have to get on and, and see what everyone does on social media right before you talk to them <laughs> online because the world is weird now. So I'm, um, I'm on your Instagram, I'm looking through it, and I, and I see that you have come had it you know it, it has arrived and you have three volume the unfinished no to no not the unfinished shells the history of middle earth so what what inspired you to think i don't think that 300 pages of text and 200 pages of appendixes and the silmarillion are totally insufficient i need this expensive three volume set so that i could delve even deeper <laughs> yeah i just i mean first of all i i knew tolkien had a lot of works published you know especially mm -hmm. by his son and everything but like i had no idea that it was that extensive. I mean, I think the history of Middle Earth is like 12, it's like 12 volumes. Right. So those three, those three books are, you know, they compact it into um, that set. But I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily intend to like pick them up and just start reading. <laughs> it was kind of more of like a, Oh, like if I want to find out more about this, yeah. I can always just pop it open. And, mm -hmm. but this, I mean, the books are, be it's beautiful. It was a little expensive. It was a birthday gift to myself. A little expensive, but totally worth it. Like if you're if you're a hardcore fan, I would definitely, definitely, like recommend buying this set. Yeah, like it's, the just... it's like Bible. Like the pages, it's like Bible pages. It's just. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a set I've been looking at getting for a while. I've got a lot of the individual. I've got some of the individual volumes that make up those, but I, I don't have all of them, and I would really like, I, I really like those. When I first started looking at them, they were so expensive. When they first came out, that I was like, yeah, I'm not, not doing that. <laughs> but uh, it seems like they've been coming down finally. So I, at some point, I'm going to have to get them. Yeah. Yeah, but they're just. It's a beautiful set. But I, yeah, I don't know if I intend to. Pick them up and just start. <laughs> just start. But it is, but it is nice that if you, you know, to have it's just the reference books. If you want right. to know about something specific in Middle Earth, you've got it there that you can go pick it up and the encyclopedia. Yep. Excellent. Yep. Yes. The encyclopedia of Tolkien. In fact, I'm pretty sure we've got one of those on our shelves too. Yeah. <laughs> so I was telling somebody the other day when we got married, Andrew had literally. Two different versions of, of DVDs, right? Of course, the extended versions and the theatrical cuts. And, like, at least three different versions of Lord of the Rings books. <laughs> we have we have dialed it back. I think we only have... I think we have three versions now, but it's, like, the really nice, you know, the one that just sits on the shelf and looks pretty, and then the one that's mm -hmm. actually for reading, and then the one that's for the kids to read. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's and then again, like the art, like the artwork and the illustrations that mm -hmm. he put out with his books. I right. mean, like I know, like listeners can't see it, but you know, I mean, it's beautiful. These are these are the versions that I have. Okay, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, just the artwork, and I got to see. Um, this was two years ago in New York City. They did an exhibit at um it was a library in new york but they had tolkien's um 
some of his original like writings and oh, wow. his illustrations and his artwork. They put it all up and it was just it was so cool to see yeah. how That's it awesome. went from like this page to, you know, hardcover hardcover books that you pick up at Barnes and Noble or right. Amazon, you know? Yeah, see I we kind of pared down my books, got rid of some of them, but and then I'm looking the other day and there's a new version of the books coming out. It's a, I think it's a single volume of Lord of the Rings with oh, yes. a bunch of his original yes. artwork in it. Yes. I think I pre-ordered that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's been so yeah. long since there's been a version out there with any of his original artwork in it. Mm -hmm. And there's some beautiful artwork out there, you know, Lord of the Rings artwork, but there's always something endearing about the the things that the author actually created to go with it yeah. other than maps, you know, they've, I guess they've all got his maps in it. They yeah. have the, uh, like with star Wars, the art of books, mm -hmm. there is, there's one for the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. They're not as, there's not as thick as the star Wars ones, but they're nice. And it shows you, you know, all of his illustrations, um, you know, how they kind of went from like sketches all the way to, you know the final the final product of of what yeah. he uh, what he made, but yeah, I love I love you know the Hobbit. Like I love seeing the Lonely Mountain, and mm -hmm. I actually have a tattoo of the um, illustration of Smaug. I have him on my ankle. Oh, awesome! Like, that's so cool. <laughs> oh, that's I gotta, I gotta cool. do it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fun. Um, yeah, I think the I think one of my favorite things in the Hobbit movies was that song. At Bilbo, when they're singing, you know, the, the Lonely Mountain song. Mm -hmm. Right. And as far as the Hobbit movies, I mean, there's there's things I really like and some things that I didn't with the Hobbit films where, you know, now, now we know that the studio was really like forcing Peter Jackson's hands yeah. on a lot of stuff. Yeah. But they, that, they cornered him. They yeah. really did. But that first, that first 30 minutes of The Hobbit. Perfection. Especially all all the stuff that happens at Bag End is just like it's the book come to life. Mm -hmm. At your service, yeah, Lee and Keely, at your service. Yes, I know. Like, of course, it, nerdy me who was just like, ah, it was so yep. exciting, you know, because I just I I didn't ever think we were going to get the Hobbit after we got the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that was pretty great. But um, yeah, the the I. I do love the the line drawings from from Tolkien. Mm -hmm. You know, just the real the simplicity. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just something so. There's just something so uh, pure, maybe, and 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 not the huge, you know, colorful. I mean, and not that I don't love John Howe and and, and uh, Alan Lee's well, illustrations. It's more like the beautiful. stuff that it's more like the stuff that Dave Filoni sits around uh -huh. and. And mm -hmm. doodles while they're having meetings about right. what they're going to do. Exactly. It's, those are the coolest things to me because they're just done just right out of your head and put exactly. on paper. And that's kind of what, you know, a lot of Tolkien's early sketches were. Yeah. Uh, so how quick after you started watching the movies, did, after you saw the movies, did you get into reading? I believe I started reading them after i saw the two towers okay yeah yeah because i remember like
catching up and then kind of being like, oh, I remember this in the movie. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I think I saw Return of the King and then I finished the Return of the King book. Yeah. Because, okay. again, like being in middle school. Right. You know, it, it, was just, right. it was a lot. Um, yeah. It, it helps to kind of have that reference. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that kind of mental reference to kind of, in fact, like as, as much of a, of, of a Jane Austen obsessed, obsessed person I am now, I didn't actually read any Jane Austen books till I seen the movies. I was like, since sensibility is boring, that's all the movie. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> this is the greatest book ever, you know? So I think that's just kind of a byproduct of being in middle school. You're like, Oh, well, whatever, you know, the book is, but when, then of course, once you see the movie, then, then you have to, you know, be a, a uh, snooty enough to declare the book to be better <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway yeah but i mean i was in college yeah. when they when they started come when those movies started coming out and so they would always come out right after we started our winter quarterback mm -hmm. and uh so i was always dragging people because right. we had to drive at that time we had to drive from ruston we had to drive like 30 minutes down the road okay 30 miles down the road to, to a theater. So I was always dragging people. Fortunately, I was in the art department. It was really easy to talk people into going right. to see, <laughs> see a movie, <laughs> see talking, talking films. But yeah, um, I, I got into the movie or into the books really, really young. And so for me, it was when the movies, when they announced the movie, it was like kind of this big mind blowing thing. Like they're really gonna mm -hmm. make movies out of this. And of course there were there were always the old animated movies that were they're 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 really terrible. <laughs> but as a kid I used to just watch them. If they came on of course they were so long. The <laughs> Hobbit one was so long and if it came on TV and you had to watch it with commercials, it took you all day to watch that movie. <laughs> oh yeah. yes, commercials. And, and I know well it was funny because I saw because we just had the Snyder cut of you know Justice League mm -hmm. and everyone's like, oh it's four hours blah, blah blah and first of all I'm like okay if you sat through Return of the King the Snyder cut is no problem piece of cake right <laughs> I mean you would think that but I actually complained pretty extensively about the Snyder cut being four hours long in spite of the fact that I have been known to sit and watch all three Lord of the Rings movies in one weekend <laughs> yes. No, no shame. No shame. <laughs> so apparently it's not just the length of the movie. Apparently, uh, you know, because I was like, man, this movie's four hours long. When am I going to find time to watch this? And I was just I was just on and on about it. And then I started thinking, I was like, because I think that I may have actually been like, I'm going to watch Lord of the Rings instead. <laughs> and it was like, well, that doesn't really that doesn't really track. Now, all of a sudden, my argument doesn't hold water so well anymore. <laughs> I saw, I saw there was like a like a meme floating around on Facebook and it was like oh since uh you know Snyder the Snyder cut of Justice League has been released uh Tolkien fans now want the uh the Peter Jackson like eight and a half hour right. cut of <laughs> Return of the King but I laughed because there is still so much footage yeah that he has never released and that we have never seen. Like supposedly there are uh, scenes filmed of Aragorn and Arwen, like as like young when they're younger and just like you see um, 
supposedly he filmed like her brothers too in Rivendell. Oh, the and brothers. A lot of stuff that was in the book. Right. That didn't make it into, you know, the theater cut or even the extended cuts. Um, right. There's a lot more that he's got. And I wish he would release it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I want to see it. I know. Um, there's certainly um, a lot of people who would, sure enough, spend an entire weekend watching all of the all of the other stuff. Yeah. Because you know, people who sit around and are like, well, there's no Glorfindel and there's no, you know, there's no twin brothers and there's no where is it, you know. Yeah. So on that note, is there anything that was cut out of the movie? Like one particular thing that was not in the movie that you would have really loved for it to have been in the movie? Ooh. Um I mean, Tom Bombadil, how could you cut him out? Right. And, and we actually discussed that last week. And, and I think we settled on the, the only reason to cut that out is because that first half of the, of the story as a whole, there's so many ups and downs. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't fit that traditional arc for uh, right. what you would see on film. And now I want a Tom Bombadil short, though. Like, the longer we talked about it, I was like, okay, we don't need, like... Okay, fine. It's not in the movie, but can we just have like the Tom Bombadil adventure? You know, like they keep doing with Star Wars, and they're like, "Oh, and this happened in that thirty seconds that you didn't see in you know Return of the Jedi." And Tom Bombadil is such a fascinating character. Yes, and, right? and I'm sure you've noticed as you've started reading the Silmarillion now, there's no explanation for him. Yeah, no. He's, He's been there, there since you know before the stars were in the sky, but who is he? We don't know. Yeah. It's like, he's just, the ring has no effect on him, mm -hmm. you know, all these things. And of course, in cutting that out, they cut out, we talked about this last week, the um, the whole scene in the Barrow Downs, mm -hmm. which I think is, I still think is one of the scariest scenes mm -hmm. that Tolkien ever wrote. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's, it's always, that's always the one that I think most people come back to. It's like, how is that not in there? Like, right. how do you just skip over poor Tom Bombadil there? But, you know, I do yeah. wonder, though, because apparently there were, like, trading cards issued at some point with, like, pictures of all the characters. And there was a Tom Bombadil card, which really? does make me wonder if there is all this extra footage, if there is actually Tom Bombadil footage somewhere. I mean, it makes sense that they would have at least considered it. I mean, but if, if knowing... Knowing how like passionate Peter Jackson was about this whole thing, right. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's there's got to be something. I mean, can you imagine how much the nerds like just on the whole would lose their minds if all of a sudden it was like, oh, and here's the Tom Bombadil stuff that we decided. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I that. mean. It is the 20th anniversary this year. It's true. You it's, never know. <laughs> that would be exciting. You know, maybe, yeah. I mean, December, maybe when December rolls around and it gets to be, you know, like 20th actually anniversary of release date. Mm -hmm. You never can you tell. You got that. You've got Tolkien, Tolkien Week is in like either August or September. And mm -hmm. Yep. All the yeah. things. Yeah. Here, here, <laughs> people, there's money to be made. I mean, 
for heaven's sake, release it on HBO Max. I will keep an HBO Max subscription forever if that is the only place I can see additional Tolkien content. I mean, 100%. Take take my money, please. Exactly. <laughs> take like, all of it. You, if you just really like want to, yes. Anything with Grogu, I'm like, just take my money right now. I <laughs> know, right? I know. Um, but I mean, like they they shelled out what? How many seventy million dollars to make the Snyder cut? Like they could they could shell out seventy million dollars to like, you know, kind of polish up some extra Lord of the Rings footage. I mean. People would buy Disney, I mean, not Disney Plus, HBO Max subscriptions for that. Here, here, people. <laughs> here, here. This is what the people want. <laughs> well, there's. Well, now they're super focused on the, the TV show. Yeah. So, right. what do you? Th- how are you feeling about that? I mean, there's not a lot of news. I mean, we kind of get some news every <laughs> once in a while that's like, kind of makes you wonder what's really going on. Yeah. New, oh, they'll be like, oh, it's a, it's a. You know, story treatment. It's like, no, it's not. It's a bunch of Tolkien-sounding uh, words. Well, the, the synopsis that they released. Right. It's like, okay, so it's in Middle-earth. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you literally just described Middle-earth. That's all you did. But then the whole thing about that they had hired an intimacy expert or something mm. in the writing. It's like, really? Yeah. No, not about it. Like, okay, like Game of Thrones... Again, like that's another another favorite, you know, fandom of mine. Yeah. But like, you can't. I, it's just two totally separate, different things. And I like Game of Thrones. I like Game of Thrones for what it is. I mean, George R. R. Martin has his own style. And like, yeah, did he definitely pull, you know, inspiration from Tolkien? Of course. Yeah, and he's been but very open about that. Again, it's yeah. When I heard about that, I was like, oh, no, like, please, 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 no. Right. Like, we don't, we don't need Lord of the Rings to be sexualized. We just don't. Right. Like, that is not, that was never Tolkien's intention, you know, and I, I just hope that that's something that gets, you know, kind of, okay, never mind, scratch that. Um, and there's been a lot of... Uh, backlash from the fandom yeah um which i i am glad to see that you know people are saying no this is not Mm -hmm. this is not like the heart of what he's his story is and what it should be about Mm -hmm. right um but i I was i was kind of nervous from the start because i'm like oh right a tv show like oh gosh where where are they gonna land with this where is this gonna take place in the timeline of everything um but there, it's the second age, mm-hmm. if I if I'm remembering correctly. Right. No, so, you're, you're correct. They're saying second age. So far enough removed from where we are with the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, but so I think we're maybe going to see some characters that we know. I mean, you have Galadriel and Elrond because right. they're like super old, right? <laughs> yeah. At least Galadriel. Um, Elrond may not. Is Elrond should be around born? the second age. The second age, we've already done Baron and Luthien by the second age. Yeah. Honestly, I thought that that's where they were going to go. When they said Lord of the Rings series, I was like, okay, so we're going like one of our really famous pairings, you know, Baron and Luthien. We're going 
uh, Thingol and um, Melian. You know, we're doing one of yeah. these really iconic um, Tolkien couples, um, but apparently not. So I was a little surprised that that's yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure where they're going, and of course they hadn't told us how far back into the Second Age we're going. And and the story of Baron and Luthien is is very important to a lot of stuff. So we could see flashbacks to the story and why it's important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I mean, you know, when you hear, you know, intimacy coach or intimacy expert or whatever it was they said, that can it can technically mean a lot of things. Um. It's just, it, it immediately makes you go, because, you know, they were already like, you know, Amazon's going to bring you the next Game of Thrones. It's like, please, please don't. Like, yeah. No, like, please. like <laughs> if you mean Game of Thrones as in like the epicness of the scale, then sure. But like, it doesn't need the things. It's so against what Tolkien was about. He, yeah. I mean, he, he was a Victorian. Even with, like, the level of violence and gore, I mean, I think the last time I did a rewatch of the trilogy, I was like, ooh, this is pretty brutal. Mm -hmm. But Game of Thrones is, like, a whole... Right. That's, a, that's like, next level. That's yep. really graphic. And I hope that that's also not something that mm -hmm. would be a, a part of it. I mean, again, like, there's war, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to have that incorporated into it but i think like the lord of the rings it, it was a nice balance you know you have to show um the fighting and show like how gruesome war can be because he was you know he fought in in the trenches in world war one and i think that was part of what he was trying to convey absolutely um through those those parts of the story you know with the big battles and whatnot so i think it's important to portray that but again like Let's not let's not bring it to that level. We don't need it's to pour needed. molten gold down anybody's throat in Lord of the Rings, people. <laughs> yeah, just please no, please. You know, I, it's one of those things. It's like I, I mean, I'm always so excited for anything Lord of the Rings, but I'm with you. I, it's it's like. So we're what are we just going to be like make our own world in in Middle Earth and create our own like I'm not all about that kind of thing. Um, I it I almost wonder. It feels a little bit like uh, the the Shadow of Mordor games that came out a few years ago. Yes. yes, which which were fun and were great, but if if we're going to make a like multi million dollar project. I don't want to see, like, we're going to create our own kind of additional mythology within the existing Middle-Earth world. Mm -hmm. It's like, I want to see us actually follow the rules and do the things that are supposed to be there. Right. Um, and, you know, I think that especially the fact that the creator is, is no longer alive, I think it is important that his vision for the world be maintained. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be very disrespectful to the eminently um, Catholic um, man that he was to make his story brutally uh, graphic, you know, with, you know, and, and over-sexualized. I just think that that's not that, you know, there, there's a place for that entertainment 
and and it can that it, that can be what it is, you know. Lord of the mm-hmm. uh, you know Game of Thrones can be its thing, and that's great that it can be its own thing. But I just don't think that it's fair to do something that inconsistent with the vision of the uh, the creator. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, and and it's so funny because like with the Star Wars fandom, I always make fun of like the people that are so like. You know, like, this is how it should be. And then I turn around, I'm like, oh, wait, but that's how I am with Tolkien. Right. Yeah. But like you said, he's not alive anymore. And, you know, to to keep his vision alive, I think, is is important because we don't have him available Mm -hmm. to consult with like we do, you know, with George. Well, and it's also, you know. Tolkien died and his son continued on his work. Now he's passed. But Lucas literally sold the property and said, here, please continue my story. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's two very different different things. And, right. You know, it, it's you want to see it respected. But I also think that, I think people underestimate the size of the Tolkien fandom sometimes because they're not an extraordinarily vocal like in your social media world and stuff, they're they're not. There's a lot of them out there, but they're not real vocal. Not like Star Wars. Not like fans. Star Wars fans. Star Wars fans yeah. are are by far one of the most vocal fan bases. Except maybe Harry Potter. For good or bad. For for yeah. better or worse, that's it's what they are. And um, but I think that if you cross the line with the Tolkien stuff, I think it's going to get real loud. Yeah. Definitely. It'll, it'll end up being like the Council of Elrond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What shall we, you know, what shall we do about this? Yeah. We'll have to ha- have a, a huge online symposium of yeah. indignation. <laughs> so what kind of things would y'all like to see in the new series? Knowing that it's set in the Second Age and... Not real. I'm still a little fuzzy on when exactly Baron and Luthien takes place. Whether it takes place towards the end of the first age or at the beginning of the second age, but we still have the forging of the rings of power. We still have several huge wars during the second age. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have some of our greatest warrior heroes around, like Glorfindel. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm. I'm still pretty certain that Glorfindel is the last, like at the time of the Lord of the Rings, the last being alive, the last person alive that, to slay a Balrog alone. Mm. So, you know, there, have, there's a lot of really good characters. So have they, I, I mean, I haven't heard since, have they confirmed like who's, like I know they, announce the cast but have characters been assigned you know initially i know that they had cast uh, galadriel and an elrond but i don't think that there were any names associated with that cast list were there mm. the the only one that they I, I the only one that i remember them giving us a name for an, an actor and a character name was was galadriel Right. Most well, the they others. had named one. It was uh, was it Will Poulter? Oh yeah. Was supposed to play Elrond, but I think he left. No, no, he wasn't supposed to play Elrond. He was supposed to play a man. Okay. There was they had cast somebody to play uh, to play Elrond, but that whoever it was has left the project. Yeah. Okay. 
Because there's been, I, I know they. this has been a, a nightmare of a production, apparently. I mean, I know about the time COVID shut down, they fired all the writers. Yes, and I believe they, I don't know if they finished or they were close to finishing filming the pilot episodes, the first two. Mm-hmm. And then I think they brought in like a whole team to kind of say like, oh, I think we might have to scrap this and reshoot. So I remember reading that and, and now I'm like, well, oh. so I, I actually think that there's a reason for that happening. And I think they may have just been sort of like fulfilling their contractual obligation, knowing that they weren't going to be able to use it. They had a, they had a contractual obligation with the estate with the estate that they would start filming by last May. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't, the estate got it back. And so I do think that they might have started filming before they were really ready. So that they could not lose it. So that contract. they wouldn't lose it. Mm. That's funny. Yeah, I hadn't even considered that, but that makes sense. Well, they basically did that and then let everybody go. And some of the actors that were on board left the project. And mm. it, it got a little... There was a lot of strange news, but I, you know, they were right up against their deadline to start filming. Yeah. And so it's like they just got up to the deadline and went and just filmed something. Mm. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, like I, I think I'm looking here at IMDb, and the, the only name that is listed character-wise is Galadriel, but everybody else is uh, there's no names. Right, and and there's so I see two seasons too, which is interesting, hmm. but that could always change. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's always the all the behind the scenes production drama. Like I kind of miss the days. I'm not gonna lie. Whenever it was like, and here's the movie, and you didn't know anything about all the crap going on behind the scenes. Right. And to, I mean, maybe you heard about it later, but it wasn't like there was all this buzz about it and everybody decided how they felt about a project before it had even gotten into production good. Well, it's, it's kind of like the current run of the new Marvel stuff coming up because of the mm-hmm. way everything went down. Like, we've got three mo- three more movies after Black Widow coming out this year and there's not even set photos. Yeah. Like, there's nothing. Yeah. And it's almost yeah. nice to be like, well, we're not going to find out anything until like two months before the movie comes out. So. Yeah. yeah. I feel like they did a pretty good job of that with um, with Mandalorian, too. I yeah, mean, they did. You saw some things, but I mean, to keep Grogu under wraps. Right. Whoa. That's you know? I cannot believe they pulled that and, off. And then and then like, how do you keep that? bottled up (laughs) yeah that's so funny and i guess because you know the the name was never said and there were a lot of mysteries they were um katie sackoff was doing an interview a couple of days ago and she said that they were all told that the jedi was blo coon which is a very dave filoni answer to who this is you know that's that's true but yeah apparently they had no idea until it came out who the jedi was wow 
That's so funny. They told they told us Plokoot. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you've watched the films, you should already know. <laughs> it's not it's not Plokoon. <laughs> I, I I would have thought they would have gone Mace Windu. Yeah. That seems like that would have been a much uh a much more you know because that's kind of one that kind of people kept buzzing about anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would have been a more believable lie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so something else, I don't know, like how big you are into poetry and all of that, but there's so much poetry in Tolkien. Like, I think a lot of people who've seen the movies and not read the books are a little taken aback at how much poetry there is, um, in the books. So like, how do you feel about that kind of aspect of, of Tolkien's kind of writing? Um, it's definitely very interesting um you know because you're going through these chapters you're reading 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 and all of a sudden it's like oh, i'm gonna hit you with this poem which is like a song right you know, it's like three pages long <laughs> um i i like it i think it gives it um it's it's very unique um and i love that while you know you don't have all of the the songs incorporated into it, the films i like the way peter jackson Mm-hmm. took them and placed them but it wasn't like it wasn't abrupt yes. you know it was just incorporated just the right way where you're you're not sitting there and going is this a musical now? right like what's going right. on you know um like the uh the song that Gandalf is singing when he's first, mm-hmm. when we first see him, you know, carting in. through into the Shire, oh, the road one. Yes. goes ever on. Yes. Um, you know, I love that one. And then the, um, I don't think it's a, it's, I don't think it's a whole poem, but I love, 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 love the song that Aragorn sings at his coronation. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Yeah. So good. Yes, but yeah, so, I, I love I love all of that. I love how it's I love reading it in the books, but I just love the way that Peter Jackson was able to write it into the films, but not not going overboard mm-hmm. so that you lost you know you lost the audience. Yeah, with that aspect of it. Yeah, that's an excellent point because you're right. Sometimes in the books, and you're like you're reading, you're reading, and it's like boom poem because. <laughs> I'm the writer and I like poems. So here you go. This poem that has nothing to do with the story. In right. fact, <laughs> random poem. Um, when they did a good job with that in, in The Hobbit, too, where they had more of the songs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, the song they're at when they're singing at Bag End, the, they don't do the whole song. Bilbo drifts. Bilbo's our point of view and right. he drifts off to sleep. So. Like right. we get enough of it to to understand kind of the story behind it, and yeah. then Bilbo drifts off. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So they found interesting ways to integrate those mm-hmm. things. Oh, and Aragorn singing the, you know, they ask him what he's singing, and about he Baron said and he's he's singing about Baron and Luthien, yep. the man mm-hmm. who loved a, an elfish maiden, and that that's one of my favorite, I think, examples of the the poetry in the the movie because it's just it's so seamless and it's. Like, it's there because it's like Tolkien and it's like, okay, let's pull this in. But it also, he manages to use it to advance the story um, because it's it's kind of a point where, 
you kind of get where he's coming from, how he feels about his whole deal that he's got going with Arwen. Yeah. But it was mm-hmm. great that they included because, I mean, anybody that's familiar with Tolkien knows how important the character of Baron and Luthien mm-hmm. were to him. I mean, it's yep. it's inscribed on his and his wife's grave. Right. Yeah. Um, of course, yeah. we don't get to hear Sam sing about a, a shin bone. That's always a little sad. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that was always one of my favorites. That and the uh, the Man on the Moon poem, or the the song that they sing about the Man on the Moon that came down too soon. Yeah. Um, so. I I always think about um, the Ents. Yes. Because in the book, it, they take like what weeks or months. To, to get one sentence across a yeah. like, right. imagine? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things in the movie that you don't get a real good perspective of the idea. In the books, those things took so long. Right. Like, you know, when they when they meet the, you know, when they go in there, you know, they're with the elves. I mean, they stay for, we don't even mm-hmm. really know how long they stay in the books. It's a right. long time. Yeah. yeah. They're at Rivendell recovering and... Yeah, all of that. It's it's pretty it's pretty great. But yeah, you're right, the 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 whole sense of time. All I almost feel like the sense of time is a little blurrier in the books. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just got kind of that feel of like Well, I think I think largely I think and we talked about this a little bit last week, I think largely we operate on Gandalf's sense of time. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a he's an immortal. He's been around for millennia you know, millennia. Mm-hmm. He's been around a very long time. Time is a yeah. very different sort of thing to him. And, of course, that's displayed in the book most when he he has this, he's there to tell Frodo about the ring, but he chooses to have dinner, get up, have breakfast the next morning before he decides to have the conversation about the ring. It's just yeah. Gandalf's never in a rush. Yeah. No, he's not. Because <laughs> he and he arrives exactly when he means to. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, I think that speaks to uh, to how Peter Jackson was able to take all of that and crunch it down. You yeah. know, it, again, three films, but take it all and just compact it into the story. Where you know it's a long time, mm-hmm. but it, but it it follows. It makes right. sense, you know. Yeah, it doesn't bog the story down. Right, right, and, right. And and that's I mean a lot of what Peter Jackson did to me is is fascinating because he made changes where he needed to to make it flow as a film, and because he didn't need to spend twenty minutes describing a tree, <laughs> and. So he made changes where he needed them, but the story, like Tolkien's story and themes and message of the whole thing, they just shine through in the mm-hmm. in the movies just like they do in the books. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's fascinating that he was able to take it. And of course, the story is so strong and so well-written that even with the changes, because Peter Jackson did respect it so much, mm-hmm. that so much of... Tolkien's intention shines through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's yeah. the main thing I'm hoping for in this new series, that that same kind of allegiance to the the themes mm-hmm. for for Tolkien's writings yeah. still ring true. Yeah. 
That's my big that that's that's my that's my really one wish. My you know, my big my big hope uh for this is that they manage to to retain some of that. Yeah. No, I'm looking I mean, the thing is, is like I said, you know, there's a lot of fascinating stories in the second age. Mm-hmm. This could be just absolutely incredible. Yep. Here's um, and so I try not to get too up in arms when I hear rumors about, you know, hiring certain. It's like, you know, on the front, that's like makes you start to wonder what's going on. But in truth, it might just not mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And so I try not to get too up in arms about it. But. Mm-hmm. I, I know, I'm well aware of, if they try to turn it into Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. how bad it's going to go. It's not going to go over well. No, no. not at all. At all. <laughs> you know, it's, it's at one of those, it's so important to know your audience things, you know, because there are so many, mm-hmm. so many things that, you know, I mean, even we, we, we like to talk about Stargate, you know, and that, that pilot and, you know, the, the nudity and the and it's like they totally missed, like, this is not what our audience is looking for. So hopefully right. they, they get a good read on that. So before we go, um, I have one more kind of Silmarillion question for you. So from what you've read so far, what is your favorite kind of story that you've kind of come across, like, extra hobbit and lord of the rings so far in middle earth Ooh. um my gosh there's so much to like try to remember <laughs> at this point um i think what's interesting to me in reading the Silmarillion is to see how the different um like the tree of elves, like how they break off mm-hmm. and how you have like the gray elves and the Noldor and how the Numenor come into being. Um, you know, that's so interesting because it's names that you've heard, you know, mm-hmm. Aragorn is one of the Dunedain, the Numa, you know, the men of Numenor. And it's like, okay, well, what is that? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they live long, but like, what does that mean? Right. Like, why are they history? different? Like what right. set them apart? Yep. Right, exactly. And then, you know, just going back and reading, oh, because they come from, you know, a line of elves, like, way, way back. Yeah. Um, yeah, to me, that's interesting, is just seeing how it it all folds into where we land with characters like Aragorn and mm-hmm. the men of Gondor and things like that. It's, um, that's that's probably the most interesting part to me mm-hmm. um but again it's it's just so hard to remember okay wait who is this again what where are they <laughs> yeah exactly exactly gotta keep trust what's your what's your favorite storyline love in the silmarillion um i mean like i said before i'm i'm fascinated with the the workings you know all the ins and outs of the creation story yeah, I'm with you on that. That was always my favorite. Mm-hmm. You know, the song. I always like the song. Well, there's there's so much there's so much to the song. There's so much to what's going on, and then there's so many reflections of you know the Christian creation mm-hmm. story. 
you know, kind of woven in there that's that's really, really beautiful. And, uh, you know, all the, the things about the discord of Melkor, but, you know, that he thought he was doing this thing that, of his own, of his own volition. Right. But the truth is, he's just a part of Ilavater, so he can't sing a song that's not of Ilavater. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, all that's very, very fascinating to me. But I, I mean, I love the you know the story of Baron and Luthien and and a lot of the other stuff in there too. But uh, probably the creation story. What about you? Yeah, I think I'm with you. I've always been, the creation story was always kind of where I tended to obsess when I was younger. Although I did, like, completely bore every one of my acquaintance when I read the Silmarillion by explaining all the connections. I was like, but you don't understand. Like, actually, Arwen and Aragorn are actually distantly related. Like, I mean, like, you know, 50 times removed, but, you know, like, her, you know, his ancestors. Just a few thousand years. Right. Other than, oh, yeah. And heaven help all of them. Because I was just like, <laughs> all this information, anything that was remotely related in Ovid, they came from this and the elves and the this and the, oh, yeah. All the connections, I, I really did enjoy, um, especially the first time I read it. I was just so fascinated at the way that all these connected to this story that I already knew and loved. Yeah. Well, there, there's so many things that are that are interesting and, and, you know, about the kind of the hierarchy of, of creation. And, you know, it's like men in this world full of immortals, mm-hmm. except that you know, the shorter life is, you know, Tolkien refers to it as the gift of men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and all that's very, very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, I sort of blame all of that stuff because I got into Tolkien at such a young age. I started reading these books when I was nine. So I blame Tolkien for the way I read everything now. Mm-hmm. Like I won't, like... Okay, but you didn't tell us any. You didn't tell us enough about this character. <laughs> like, who is this, and why is he important? And uh, yeah, it, it just kind of that. It's one of the reasons I love I love Star Wars is that Star Wars fans are kind of like that as a whole. It's like mm-hmm. we want to know about every character. Mm-hmm. Want the backstory to everything? Yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> everything must have a backstory. In fact, when I yeah. used to write, I did a lot of writing as a teenager and. I would, again, my poor friends were so long-suffering <laughs> because it's like, it wouldn't just be like, and here's your character and here's all the backstory that has nothing to do with the story we're actually telling, but you should know all these things about this this person. Yeah. Gotta, gotta obsess about all the side characters. It's a rule. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess it's about time to wrap it up for the night, but thank you so much for joining us and talking a little Tolkien with us. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I want to give you a chance to tell people where they can find you and find the podcast. Sure. So uh, my personal Instagram uh, is Carla Marie Jack. So Carla Marie G-I-A-C. You can see all my Star Wars shenanigans, Legion stuff on there. And my cats, too. Um, (laughs) Always posted my cats. And then the podcast, uh, you can find us at WSTR Media, all one word. And we are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So go check it out. Excellent. Awesome. All right, Marisha, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram. I am princesses underscore and underscore padawans. And I am P Padawans on Twitter. 
All right. And I am Andrew Gore. I run the Twitter account for this show at Sci underscore Fictionary. You can also drop us a line at the Science Fictionary at gmail.com, or you can check out all the rest of our projects at thesciencefictionary.com. And as always, be sure to check out our podcast, as well as the rest of the Red 5 Podcast Network at red5network.com and at red5network on Twitter. And until next time, remember, never laugh at live dragons.